Hey everyone, this is Jeffrey Wu here with the HVMN Health Via Modern Nutrition Podcast. And we're going to do a series of research roundups. So Dr. Lat Mansour, the research leader at HVMN and I, have a series of exogenous ketone papers and ketone ester papers that we want to dive into and unpack because we see clusters of new data, new papers that really explain a much deeper nuanced context around the best application of these exogenous ketones for different applications. So when we first came out with HVMN ketone 2017, 2018, very early understanding of the space. And now in 2021, with years of research and being at the cutting edge, Latin I and our friends and collaborators, we have a much more nuanced understanding of potentially how to best use these compounds. And I still think we're in the very, very early days. So we're going to have a series of these papers and these breakdowns. So let me welcome back on Dr. Lat Mansour. Lat, how are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you, Jeff? How's sunny Florida? Florida's great. I'm going to just keep kind of being net promoter of uh, Miami, Florida. It's good times. But then again, I, I think... I'm optimistic because I think entire country, I, I think the vaccine rollout was a little bit sketchy in the early days, but look, like America's vaccine roll, it's pretty damn good compared to the rest of the world. So in some sense, America's making it out strong the other side. So again, knock on wood, we're both vaccinated. Very, very fortunate to be able to get access and, and have that availability. So in a lot of ways, the pandemic is over for me. Obviously, gonna you know do my best to uh, be you know socially aware and and contribute to best practices and not just go crazy and party and and, and, and do do stupid stuff. But you know, in my personal life and, and where I associate and, and my risk tolerance definitely has opened up. I mean, I'm a believer in vaccines. My immunity and, and resilience is up uh, and uh, ready to you know go back to normal right? Like that is the point of vaccines. It is very strange to me that some public health policy officials are like, okay, you get the vaccine, but don't, don't change, like still, still like don't see anyone. It's like, uh, the whole point of a vaccine is that you can go back to normal. So come on, public health policy folks, like you can't say, hey, take a vaccine and then and still don't live a normal life. We got to be consistent. Well, I think they probably, you know, waiting for a number of people to get vaccinated before they, they do that sort of leap of faith if you were to guess but you know we'll we'll see what what they do um you know when more people are getting vaccinated yeah i mean I, yeah I, I think obviously i think you're being a little bit conservative but yeah I, I mean i think the point of a vaccine is to give you immunity the point of a vaccine is allow you to return to normal it's very much double speak to me when it's like oh you're vaccinated but don't live your life normal. yeah i get i get what you mean for sure you know sure. It, it just i i think if there's any complaint about our public health policy, it's people just not speaking the truth and with directness. Like, you know, Anthony Fauci basically said he friggin' lied about not wearing masks because he didn't want a mask run and he wanted to preserve the masks for the public health workers, which is a very, very fine strategy. But I think it really erodes credibility when you speak one thing and then recommend the complete uh, 180 two months later when there's more inventory. It just really erodes credibility. I don't like that. That would be my critique and feedback to Fauci and the CDC folks. Don't double speak. People are smart. Speak to me and everyone else like a real human being, like a real adult. Uh, don't double speak. 
And I think that's my right as an American First Amendment. I can critique my public health policy makers. Does that mean I'm going to break laws and do, you know, uh, ignorant things? No, but I can for sure have a valid critique about where I think our public policy makers went wrong. I think it's very, very fair. And I think that there should be more discussion and more critique because I think there's overly lionization on one side and over demonization on the other side. And it, it, it's a mixed result. I think some good things happened in American policy and some things weren't so good. And we should have uh, a, a political post-mortem on what went well, what went poorly. And I think the communication, the transparency from the top, very, very poor. I think we should have Anthony Fauci on our platform here and you interview him and talk about this. I think that would be a very interesting topic. Jasmine, let's let's email Fauci and get him on. Yeah. So that, that's enough on this aside. I mean, today, let's, let's talk about the paper we want to break down. Do you want to introduce the paper? Yeah, this paper is by McCarthy et al. published in March 2021. So last month, it's entitled Increased Cardiorespiratory Stress during submaximal cycling after ketone monoester ingestion in endurance trained adults. So this is a good follow-up from our last um, research roundup because you asked me a question when we looked at low ketosis, high ketosis, in terms of exogenous ketosis, is higher better? And I didn't have an answer for you. All I know is that the data so far point towards Higher doesn't necessarily mean better, but it doesn't mean worse either. It may be either neutral or just doing nothing, or it may be, have some form of negative effect in terms of acidosis. So this paper actually elucidates some parts of the answer to that question. So I'm quite excited to, to dissect this paper with you. Yeah, 100%. And I think just because of our experience in this space, I think we can map this and reconcile this with all the other observations and studies that have occurred in the space. So again, I think it's important in the scientific corpus and scientific literature, uh, one data point, one paper does not define everything. And I think this is a very interesting piece that helps us fully understand the picture here. Shout out to the group. Thank you for using HVMN and, and shouting us out in the paper. So we love to support any researchers, any academics who are pushing our understanding of metabolism and ketosis, very happy to be a supplier. So I'm going to just shout LAT out, LAT, L-A-T-T at hvmn.com. If you're an academic or a researcher, if you're looking for uh, materials, exogenous ketones, LAT is the number one expert in the world in this area. So he's happy to sell you product in terms of materials is also be a consultant advisor informally or formally in terms of just advising protocols and materials and all that good stuff. I think in terms of seeing the, the numerous protocols, both on the application athletic side, uh, as well as the research side, I think, you know, between you and I, we've almost seen it all. Yep, exactly. Always happy, always a pleasure to speak with like-minded academics, researchers, intellectuals, and, you know, push our knowledge forward. Cool. So, I mean, just the title in itself, Increased Cardiorespiratory Stress During Submaximal Cycling After Ketone Monoester Ingestion Endurance Trained Athletes or Adults. That almost pre preempts the kind of the, the, the suspense here. So let's talk about the protocol. But essentially, the, the headline is there are markers of cardiorespiratory stress that is increased 
with ketone monoester, which is potentially surprising, suggesting that this is a negative intervention. Um, before we unpack that statement, let's go through the protocol and go specifically and on what was measured and what were people doing. Yes. All right. And as you said, like this is a you know rarer sort of paper where on the title itself it says that something negative about ketones because we have seen quite a lot of papers sort of promoting ketones, ketogenic diet, how ketones really help in multiple areas. So this is quite interesting that it starts off by saying it increases markets of cardiorespiratory stress. So in terms of methods, 19 participants, trained athletes were involved, aged between 18 to 50, regularly engaged in endurance-type exercise for more than three hours per week and uh, has the VO2 peak in the 90th percentile for age and sex. Also, another point that is important here is that these athletes are not keto-adapted. They are habitually consuming more than 50 grams of carbohydrate per day, deemed safe to engage in physical activities as well. So 10 males, 9 females here. So they've got a crossover design. So all the athletes will sort of do the uh, ketone ester arm. And a week later, they will go and do the placebo arm and they'll be blinded as well. So they don't know what sort of intervention they are ingesting. And then they'll go through the exercise. And in terms of the experimental trials, they start off with a five-minute warm-up at 50 watts. And then participants cycle for 30 minutes at the predetermined individual ventilatory threshold intensity. So at about 70% VO2 peak for 30 minutes. They rest for 15 minutes and then they complete a time trial. So this is relatively shorter compared to the other studies, which you know usually is like three hours, two to three hours of pre-fatigue and then a time trial. So instead of three hours, they're just doing 30 minutes and then a, a rest for 15 minutes and then a time trial. During the 30-minute cycle, gas expired, uh, rate of perceived exertion, as well as heart rates were measured. And the participants who are on keto, ketone ester arm, they ingest 600 milligram per kilogram body weight of ketone ester, whereas placebo, they ingest a flavor-matched drink that is not calorie matched. So that is a point that we can also discuss later in terms of the results. So that's roughly the protocol. Any any questions there, Jeff? Yeah, I also read that they basically mix that in a Gatorade drink. So I presume there's a little bit of electrolyte and sugar calories consumed. Yeah, they, they did dilute that in Gatorade as well. Yeah, you're correct. So shall we dive uh, straight into the, the results part? Yeah, so I think just before diving into the results, I think what's interesting is that these were fed athletes, mm -hmm. not fasted athletes. I think that's important. And then two, it's also important that they were just not necessarily keto adapted athletes. Yeah. Those are two interesting variables. Well, other than that, yeah, let's dive into the results. What happened? So in terms of blood, we are expecting um, to see higher BHB, acetate, and total ketone bodies in the keto monoester arm versus placebo. And that's exactly what they saw. And in terms of ventilation, now this is very interesting. They measure ventilation, heart rate, breathing frequency, tidal volume, and all of these are actually elevated in the ketone ester arm. So when I saw this result, I automatically thought, okay, maybe the ketone ester is making them working harder, making them sort of pushing themselves further, hence, they might have an enhanced performance like they have seen in previous papers, some of the previous papers, 
So, but then when I read through further in terms of performance results, they actually didn't see any significant improvement in the time trial. So basically, they are just getting through all these cardiorespiratory markers elevated in the ketomonoester arm without any enhancement in performance. So that is the key of, of this paper here. Let's let's unpack that a little bit before I go further. Yeah, and I think it's also important to say that it didn't negatively impact in performance, but it didn't improve performance, but the cardiorespiratory stress markers, so VO2, some of the, the metrics that determine effort were, were, they were working harder apparently for no benefit. Yeah, the RPE was also higher in the ketomonoester arm versus placebo at the end of the 30 minute bout of exercise. So they feel also, they feel like they're working harder and they are working harder in terms of their breathing harder and they are having higher heart rate, but that does not translate into any change in the performance. So that sense, like it just added on the cardiovascular stress without any benefits that comes out of it. So in terms of GI issues here, they are also specifically measuring what sort of GI discomfort that these athletes are experiencing. So the symptom-specific load averaged over 30 minutes and the time trial was greater in, in, in KE versus placebo uh, condition for stomach cramps, dizziness, gastric reflux, and urge to vomit. So these four specific symptoms was found to be higher in the KE group versus placebo. Yeah, I think that's like decently surprising to me, given that one, I ha like I've administered hundreds of ketone doses, and I don't really see that kind of adverse effect. Yeah, that is true. Like a lot of papers, they have very uh, ne negligible GI issues, really. And I think a paper by our former colleague, uh, Brianna Stubbs, showed that there was a very, very nominal difference between placebo and ketones. So I think that's kind of an interesting point. I'm not sure if like the dosing was done properly or if their mix was weird or people are just super sensitive. Like, again, I think this was the flaw with Louise Burke's paper with the acetoacetate diester where that different ketone diester showed negative performance but the, ga the GI issues, the gastrointestinal issues were like off the, the off the charts. I mean, you're basically having people getting diarrhea. I mean, I've had acetoacetate diester. I dosed it incorrectly and I, I was, you know, on the toilet. So clearly I'm not, you know, getting, uh, getting a, a PR, let alone just matching a placebo performance if I'm on the toilet. So I'm very curious what happened there just from a dosing level because it's very inconsistent through the literature I've seen, as well of just like, you know, you and I have a lot of clinical experience. Like we've given dose hundreds of people, hundreds of professional athletes. You have any suspicion there? I mean, I, I'm, I'm skeptical on that point. It is not couched with my experience. I think I'm 100% agreeing with you. And I think you, you pointed out a, a really important point here because it is quite different from all the papers. And I did take a look at the protocol. It didn't strike me as they have done anything out of the ordinary. They, they sort of dose 35 minutes before the exercise. They measure, you know, in between and then, you know, they start the exercise. So I don't see anything that really stands out as a red flag, to be honest. And maybe the dose is a bit higher, but it's really nominally higher. I mean, most papers, they use five, 500 milligrams per kilogram. So that's like 100 
milligram less per kilogram of body weight. And the other papers use generally about around 300. So maybe that's too high for a non-keto adapted athlete, um, I could argue. But at the end of the day, we won't know the exact answer, to be honest. Yeah. So it looks like they have... So I think it's like 35 minutes before exercise, they drank the intervention, which is ketones or placebo. So about the right range of like timing. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It was like, like decently reasonable. Yeah. I'm just like scrolling through here, warm up 30 minute and then like a time trial. Okay. Let's move on to other, other aspects. So in terms of uh, results, that's basically the result. So then they move on to the discussion on, you know, why they think the results are the way they are. So one of the, the main finding is contrary to the hypothesis that acutely administered ketone ester may improve performance. And in this paper, they basically showed the opposite. And they also think that the hyperventilation is associated with acidosis, but the reduced arterial carbon dioxide partial pressure doesn't fully explain that because they have a reduced carbon dioxide partial pressure, whereas normally acidosis, you can see an increase in uh, CO2 partial pressure. So I would have hoped that they unpack that a little bit more to, to explain that. Yeah, do they show blood pH and compare blood pH? They, I don't believe they measure pH itself, but they did connect the findings of other papers that showed consistent acidosis with ketone monoester with the hyperventilation. Because another paper actually showed the athletes overcompensate the acidosis caused by the BHB as well as lactic production during exercise by hyperventilation. So that itself sort of removes more carbon dioxide and therefore uh, buffering that, that blood pH back to a neutral sort of pH. Yeah, I, I think that would be like a, a very important measure because I'm just thinking through the Hezbollah paper showing that, you know, a very similar result, which is no difference between a ketone ester arm versus control in a fed context. That's true. Whereas the Cox Oxford paper showed an improvement and enhancement performance in a facet context, and that's very, very different, right? This is a Fed paper. So in that sense, this recapitulates Hezbollah's results. Mm -hmm. But I think what was very interesting from Hezbollah's follow-up study was that mixing with a sodium bicarbonate buffer, which reduces the impact of acidosis, then you see very, very enhanced performance perspective. So to me, this highlights the importance of the acidosis component here, uh, especially as you're increasing dosage and i think that was a follow-up point you might overshoot the amount of ketones necessary and then risk acidosis that risk gets blunted by the availability of sodium bicarb to buffer so you get the benefit of ketones and the benefit of not having acidosis but just ketones alone and you overshoot something with a ketone ester which is like very easy to overshoot you get so powerful you can start Backfiring. I mean, I think where you can kind of walk this back is that, well, the performance didn't change. And this is a relatively short duration exercise where a lot of the recommendation is that you use ketones for super endurance performances. But the net of it is that I think that you need to re really be careful about acidosis in terms of overdosing on ketones. Explain the, the CO2 point uh, again, because I think that's something that's subtle. Um, and we should unpack that point more specifically. Yeah, I mean, from what I have read is that Acidosis usually are associated with an increased arterial CO2 
uh, partial pressure. What does that mean? So it, it has more CO2. Basically, how you measure CO2 or O2 in your blood is the partial pressure. So the amount of uh, CO2 and O2. So basically, in a normal context, more acidosis means you get more carbon dioxide in your bloodstream. That's correct. Okay. Yeah. So therefore, you know, if you think about it, with that increased uh, partial pressure, the body wants to excrete it out to balance, you know, homeostasis and, and, and balance all the gas exchange as well as pH back to normal. And that is why we, we sort of correlate the acidosis with the CO2 partial pressure. But in this paper, they assume that it could be acidosis that is causing the hyperventilation. However, the partial pressure of carbon dioxide doesn't really reflect that. And on top of that, the VO2 and VCO2, uh, whole body VO2, VCO2 were not that different either between groups. So uh, I think a lot needs to be put in in terms of investigating that, that disconnect or that decoupling between the, the gas exchange and the hyperventilation and the acidosis. Interesting. So basically like the kind of classic like cardiorespiratory stress markers didn't really change. So what were the markers that changed? The markers that changed was, I believe it's breathing frequency, tidal volume, um, the end tidal CO2, end tidal O2, and the ratings of perceived exertion. Yeah, it's pretty interesting, right? Like it's pretty subtle, right? So like you would expect that like acidosis, higher CO2, but no difference there, no change in VO2 max, but you have a perception and then and then what is tidal? So tidal volume, I believe, is the total volume of gas that is being breathed out per breath. So liter per breath. I think the mechanisms are very, very complex. Like, how do we take this away? How do we wrap this up in a conclusion for from an application's perspective? So I think you already mentioned one of the takeaway message, which is don't overdose and be careful of acidosis. Two, if you are going to sort of trial and error, maybe use a buffer like sodium uh, bicarbonate to really feel where your threshold is. Three, use a, a, an exogenous ketone that may not actually give that much of a spike, but a, a flatter area under the curve that keeps you in ketosis high enough to get that edge and not actually induce acidosis to impede your performance. So that's how I would see it. And then we can talk about like what extra research that needs to be done in terms of clarifying the effect of ketone supplementation on endurance performance, exercise response, and then directly assess the ketone metabolism and oxidation that focus on muscular substrate metabolism. So muscular organ specific, essentially. Yeah. Clearly there's a different paradigm between fed and fasted. I think we can throw away the fasted experiments because they're not ecological, meaning that they're not practical in real life. Like no one is going to run a marathon fasted. Like that is idiotic. Like you're not going to have a PR. You're not going to win. You can do that for a metabolic challenge, but it's not clearly not the, 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 the point from a competition perspective. So we can take the fasted experiments out of ecological perspective. We can use it from a science perspective, but not useful for application. Now that is out of the way. I think there's an interesting variable around dosage and then what complements. Right. And I think the acidosis question is very interesting. Do you complement buffer on higher doses of ketones? Does that net out? Or do you just have a more mild dose of ketones? Um, and I think it's like a very Goldilocks position if it's too low ketones. 
I imagine that there's just not enough signaling nor neurological effect nor substrate effect to do anything too much. Do you risk acidosis? Do you risk some of the uh, results that, that, that this paper demonstrate? Given what I'm reading here and given our previous work, I think I would, I would surmise that a pure breed ketone dosage at situ between one to two millimoles seems to be the sweet spot for me, right? It seems like, like less than 1.0. 1, a lot of the ketone salt experiments show no result. Although I think that a lot of those results might be confounded by GI issues with the salt load. So I don't think there's a lot of pure play papers around the one to two millimole range with a pure ketone molecule. And that just has not been done before. Uh, I think when you go two, three plus and you have buffer, that seems to be good. Uh, how about one to two uh, without any other combination? That is a very interesting paper for me to look at and for us to look in and break down because that might be the Goldilocks zone. And that range uh, opens up a lot of different interventions and applications. And this is just on the pre-acute side. I, I think in terms of cognitive application, very, very different world. I think there is very compelling data around hypoxia, around decision-making under stress. I, I think the anxiolytic effect is very, very interesting. So that is something that is completely different from an endurance athlete perspective. Oh, and just in terms of endurance perspective, I think there's also a timing, uh, endurance uh, duration perspective, right? Like this is a relatively short duration in terms of where ketones have per, uh, typically shined. A lot of the previous work that shows benefit of ketones is three hour plus bouts. This was uh, kind of a, what, an hour, hour and a half kind of about. So on the shorter side, where glucose reserves, glycogen reserves are completely replete and you will not burn through that. So I would look at the duration as an important factor here. And then lastly, I think the recovery story is very, very compelling. Again, having ketones, at least the one to three millimole threshold as hypothesized by Mansour Wu 2021, uh, Frontiers in Physiology. Uh, I think that I'm obviously, you know, you and I co-wrote that paper. So we stand, you know, we're still very confident in that result and that prediction. Love to have that theory proved out by experimentalists. If, if we can call ourselves theorists here, I think that data and, the, and those mechanisms of mTOR activation and glycogen repletion, very, very robust to me. So where I net out is recovery, very, very compelling cognition, very, very compelling, especially for therapeutic side of the world and something that we're looking very, very closely and hopefully working on some more literature in, 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 in that world. The acute ergogenic side of the world, clearly a lot of nuance, especially as you're going to elite performance world where people are very, very trained. I think, I think the body is very, very efficient. I think it's very, very hard to turn a metabolic machine of a gold medalist Olympian or a trained human and get a free lunch. So I think it makes sense to me that you have to be very, very dialed in, very, very nuanced with the exact fueling strategy to eke out that extra performance. And I think we are on in the right direction as well, because, you know, when exogenous ketones first came out, you know, we sort of experimented with ketone salts. We looked at lower ketone levels, didn't really work. And then we overshot. And then now we're looking at three to five millimolar. It's a bit of acidosis. You know, some show positive results, some show neutral, some show negative. So let's narrow that range down now and start experimenting with the right protocol that has been proven or unproven, you know, just playing around with what works best for a, a particular population or athlete um, population. But on top of that, 
I'm also very interested because of the results from this study to actually find out more about organ specific metabolism, like what is actually happening in the heart, because they mentioned cardiorespiratory stress. So, so I would love if, you know, there is some researchers out there that could measure ATP generations, you know, uh, in, in the heart, is it affected by ketosis in terms of what's making the heart rate increase? What sort of signaling is, is BHB actually uh, affecting in terms of the heart rate and ventilation? And also in, in the muscles as well, I would love to find out more about the molecular biology if there is an uh, upregulation of BDH1 and 2, which is beta-hydroxybutyrate dehydrogenase, um, SCOT proteins, all these like proteins that is responsible for metabolism of ketones, are they upregulated in organs, specifically heart and muscles during exercise for these athletes? And then if they do, how can we use that to our advantage to then treat maybe diseased patients, diseased population, and where they have dysfunction in terms of metabolism, in glucose metabolism, fatty acid metabolism, will ketone have a role to play to help them with energetics, with metabolism, with oxidation, and eventually, you know, improve their conditions. So that's what I would like this whole sort of big picture to, you know, come back full circle. 100%. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right that we need to understand the metabolomics, the actual analytes, uh, the actual enzymes, what's what's happening at the molecular level. I think it's interesting from the physiological level, right? Like VO2, breath rate. I think I'm I'm humbled to uh, to realize that like the molecular and the physiology is could be quite different, but I think if we start going in both directions, we can more fully understand human performance. So that's what we're all about. So uh, I, I think hopefully this conversation was helpful for everyone where we're not just ketone shills, right? I, I think uh, a version of us would only defend ketones or only reject ketones. You know, we really mean what we say when we say, hey, let's look at the data, let's break it down. Let's understand the best applications for these molecules, for these substrates. If, it does, if a certain intervention is not good for a certain situation, I don't care. Like, I just won't use it that way. Uh, if it's bad for everything, well, maybe we throw this stuff away. If it's good for everything, amazing, right? I, I think that's what we're here for. We're here for truth. We're here for understanding how the metabolism, the physiology. Uh, end of the day, we have the same goals. We want to be better for ourselves, better for our friends, better for our family, uh, better for our customers, which I think is better for the world, right? We just all are a little bit closer to truth. Any last words? Any last thoughts? No, I, I think I've, I've wrapped up um, on my side and always a pleasure. Cool. As always, appreciate your feedback. We're, uh, we read all the comments. Our, our, our assistant, uh, Jasmine, goes through and, and checks all the emails, all the comments. So tag us at Latmansort, at Jeffrey Wu, Wu at HVMN. See you online and see you next time. Thanks so much. Mm -hmm.